There are Bibles in the back. You can, so long as it's just your Bible open, though. So grab a Bible in the back if you need it. You will need a Bible to follow along. It's going to be kind of difficult to trace since we're going through multiple chapters. Yeah, Job 32. Are we going to be done with Job tonight? Not this week. So, wow, I apparently am having a very hard time finding Job in my Bible. Job what? Job 32. Not 42, which is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Just 32, which is the answer to one question, which chapter we're starting in. So, just to catch you guys up with where we are in the story of the book of Job. But at this point, Job and his friends have been talking for 28 chapters. So at the very beginning, Satan comes up to God and Satan says, Hey God, let me at Job. And then God's like, okay, bet. So Job has some people come in, destroy or steal everything Job owns, kills all of Job's kids. And then Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job did not sin with his lips. And then Satan goes back to God and God's like, hey, you seen my servant Job? who continues to hold fast his integrity despite the fact that you incited me against him and Job's like, skin for skin, everything a man has, he'll give in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand against him and he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, you can do whatever you want, just don't kill him. And now Job has this painful skin disease and we talked about how we've been functioning with dramatic irony where we know that Job is not suffering because Job sinned. And God said that in the beginning. But Job and his friends sat there for a week in silence. And for the last 28 chapters, over the last three weeks, we've been listening in on their conversation. And who can remind me, why do Job's friends think he's suffering? Adelaide? Because he sinned against God. And Job's been saying, but I didn't though. And so Job's friends for 28 chapters have been refusing to believe Job and they've been continuing to say, no, the only reason you could suffer is if you're sinning. And Job's been saying, but I didn't sin though. And so the problem is that Job has been saying, hey, I've been righteous. I wish I could argue my case before God. And so at the end of this entire conversation, we're starting in chapter 32 and we're introduced to a fourth of Job's friends someone who has not been talking in the previous uh, discussion. And the guy's name is Elihu. And before I start into this section, I just want to remind you, at the end of the book of Job, Job has to repent for what he said. Job's friends all have to repent for what they said. But Elihu, he doesn't. Elihu is the only person in the book of Job that speaks who does not have to repent for the things that he says. And so Elihu, I like to think of Elihu as God's hype man. Like you guys remember, I can't remember the name of the song, but it starts up with someone being like, you already know who it is. You guys know what song I'm talking about? I can't remember the name, but yes. Yeah, I can't remember the name. I don't even know the song. I've just heard that opening. So that's like the hype man, the guy who comes on and he's like, yo, 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 look who's about to start talking though. Elihu is the guy who talks for seven chapters right before God comes in on the scene. And Elihu is like introducing God in a sense. And I don't think Elihu knew he was doing that. But I like to think of Elihu as God's hype man, mostly because I think it's funny. But at the beginning of chapter 32, that's who Elihu is. We're coming in at the end of this conversation. And let's see what Elihu has to say. But before he speaks, 
he says in verse 1, So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. And so at this moment, the entire conversation is at a standstill. Job's been saying, I didn't sin or do anything to deserve this. And all of Job's friends are saying, heck yeah, you did. And you can't change our minds. And so both people, it's like talking to a brick wall. No one is budging. And this is like the point in the conversation where maybe someone gets mad and they say, I think we just need to agree to disagree, which is code for you dumb idiot. I'm totally right, but you won't acknowledge it. And then the other person's like, you're right. We just need to agree to disagree, which is code for you dumb idiot. I'm obviously right. And you refuse to acknowledge it. So both people are seething at the other person. Job's upset with his friends because they've just been going on him for 28 chapters. And Job's friends are angry at Job because the dude just won't humble himself and repent. So they're both sitting there. They've got nothing left to say to each other. And Elihu has been sitting here the entire time looking at this, like looking at Job's answer, looking at the friend's answer, looking back at Job, looking back at his friends, looking back at Job, back at his friends, just listening to the entire conversation in silence. And in verse 2, it says, Then Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite, from the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. And he burned with anger at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. So Elihu comes in there, like comes right on in here. And immediately he's introduced as having the attitude towards Job and Job's friends that God himself expresses just in the next section. And so... Elihu, in verse 4, it says, Now Elihu waited to speak to Job because they were older than he was. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. So at this stage, Job's friends have been accusing Job of being a wicked, corrupt, abominable man who deserved everything he got. And they've been doing that for 28 chapters. And Job has been saying, I did the right thing. I'm a righteous man. If only I could have my day in court before God. If only God would explain to me what he's doing in this situation. If only God could tell me what I did wrong. If only God would let me try to defend myself. God might have made a mistake. And so Job, not in the place he wants to be. And Elihu is recognizing that. But in verse 6, it says, Now Elihu, the son of Berechel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, Let days speak, and many years teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention and behold, there was none among you who refuted Job. And so the thing here that I want you guys to see, Elihu was the youngest person in this group. That didn't mean that he didn't speak but it did mean that he spoke last. One of the things that's important, in Proverbs 16, 31, it says that gray hair is a crown of glory and it is gained in a righteous life. 
as people, we are supposed to respect authority and we are supposed to respect older people. You're supposed to see someone who's like twice your age and recognize that that means they, li they have lived twice your life. I remember being in junior high and high school and one of the things that our parents would usually say to us is, guys, we were high schoolers once too. We have been where you are. We have lived a lot more life than you have. We have advice to give you. And you should respect people older than you. Personally, when I'm in Bible studies, like in my case, I teach the Bible professionally. My job is to teach the Bible. But when I'm in Bible studies at this church with people older than me, I shut my mouth. And it doesn't mean that I never speak, but it means that I know that these people are much older than I am. They've lived a lot more life than I have. They've been Christians. I'll get you in a second. They've been Christians for a lot longer than I have. And as the youngest people in this group, I should listen to see if they've got something to tell me. Because they probably do. And then you got a question? That's up to your parents. I'm going to leave it to the parents to govern sibling relationships, but when my parents told me to listen to my older siblings, I did it. So um, <laughs> that's for your parents to meet out, though, but I'm, I'm not going to weigh in on that. <laughs> that sound good, Sarah? Are you feeling good about that answer? <laughs> listen to your mother. So, but when I'm in a Bible study with people older than me, they've probably got something to say. But one of the things that we've been talking about in the book of Job is what does it mean to be humble versus being gullible? Because if someone older than you tells you something that isn't true, it's actually your job to disregard it. Because people who are older, it does not always mean they're right. I mean, in this case, Elihu is sitting in a group of uh, five people, including himself. He's the youngest one in the group, and the youngest person is the only one that God doesn't tell to repent. So in this situation, at least, you have the younger person who's right while the older people are wrong. And in 1 Kings 13, there's a story. And I'm not going to read the story, but I'm going to tell it real quick. In 1 Kings 13, there's this young prophet. And we aren't told anything else about him. We're just told that he's a young prophet. And God sends this young prophet to go speak to the king of Israel. And so he goes up, he speaks to the king of Israel, and then on his way back, God gave him a direction. He said, you are supposed to take a different route to get home than you took to get out there. And on your way home, you are not allowed to eat. You are not allowed to drink until you have gotten home. You have to go back to Judah. And so this young prophet, he starts on his way. And then an older prophet, an older prophet, older than him, comes on out and he says, hey, where are you going? And the young prophet says, I'm going home to Judah because God told me that I can't stop to eat. I can't stop to drink. I just need to go home. And then this older prophet says to him, hey, an angel just spoke to me and he told me to come out and get you and to give you a meal and to let you know that God's going to let you eat and drink anyway. And the older prophet was lying. And so the younger prophet, well, hey, I've got an older prophet than me. He's been serving God much longer than I have. Of course, he knows better. If God has sent him to refresh me, then I'm going to be refreshed. And so he goes in and he eats and he drinks with the older prophet and immediately after they're done eating and drinking, the older prophet has the spirit of God fall on him. And he says, because you ate and drank and you did not accept the words that God had given you, you will die before you make it home. And then the young prophet got up, he walked out of the room and a lion came by and mauled him. 
And then after that, the lion just sat there next to the carcass. So the older prophet sees this and he walks out and he sees the lion just sitting there and he like goes and grabs the body and then slowly walks away <laughs> and then he buries him. That older prophet was older. That older prophet was arguably wiser. But when the older prophet told a lie to the younger prophet and the younger prophet believed him, who died? The younger prophet. The younger prophet. Yes. The older prophet was lying. So older prophet, definitely sinning. If you say God told me this thing when God didn't actually tell you that thing, um, in the Old Testament, the penalty for that was dying. So the older prophet, definitely sinning, 100%. But it was the younger prophet that died. The older prophet is not the one that died. And here's the deal. You're younger, which means that there are people older than you who definitely have something to say to you. Your parents, your teachers, your pastors. You're supposed to be listening to them. You're supposed to be doing that humbly. But also, it's your responsibility to, if they tell you something that's not true, to disregard them. Because the person that is responsible for what you do and the person who is responsible for what you believe isn't someone else. You are the one who is responsible for believing the right thing. You are the one who is responsible for doing the right thing. And someone else lying to you is not an excuse. That's one of the reasons that I keep trying to tell you guys that you need to know the Bible well enough to check up on me. You need to be able to know your Bible well enough to know if I'm lying to you. And it's my job not to lie, but it's your job to catch me if I do. Because God's going to hold you responsible for the things that you do. And I mean, oh man, even me, um, which I'm a younger guy. I'm 22. I have been, uh, I've been teaching the Bible here at the church for about two and a half years now, a bit over two and a half years. And people will tell me, hey, you're too young to have an opinion on this theological topic. You don't got the chops. You need to wait until you're a bit older to you know, weigh in on this issue. And I'm not talking like one time when I was in junior high or high school. I mean like two months ago. And so the thing is, no. I can read. And I'm the one who's responsible for believing the right things. I'm the one who's responsible for living my life before God. And in the same way, you guys are even younger than I am. And yet, you can read. And if you're a Christian, God's given you the spirit and God wrote the Bible for it to be understood. And so you guys are not too young to know what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. In other words, when God looks at a young Christian, he says, It's your job to speak the way you're supposed to speak, to act the way you're supposed to act, to love people and be motivated by the things that you're supposed to be motivated by. You're supposed to have faith. You're supposed to believe the right things. And you're supposed to be pure. You are supposed to not let your life be dominated by sin. And that's God's expectation for a young Christian. And so one of the things that is like a core philosophy of this youth group is that I'm not going to pretend that you guys can't live the Christian life the way that God wants you to. I'm not going to pretend that there is any portion of the Bible that is too complicated for you to understand. I am not going to pretend that there is anything in the Bible that I need to wait to teach you until you're older. It's all in there, it's all necessary, and I will teach you all of it. Or as much of it as I can while we still got time. 
but it's important for you guys to see. I think Elihu is an example of that. Elihu humbly waited to speak until everyone else was done. We're not even saying that like midway through the conversation when everyone else had already spoken, then Elihu like inserted his way in. We're talking, we got to the end of the conversation. No one else had anything to say and that's when Elihu decided to weigh in. And so for you guys, treat people older than you with respect. Recognize that they've lived life longer than you and they probably have something to tell you. But also, just because you're young doesn't mean you can't think. And just because you're young doesn't mean that you're not responsible for the things you believe. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible for the things that you do. And hey, being young doesn't mean you're wrong. Look at Elu. At least in this situation, there were a bunch of old people that were all wrong. And then Elihu, the young guy, was right. So that's the introduction to that. But let's, let's move through a bit more of Elihu's response. In chapter 33, he starts talking to Job. And he says, but now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth and the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can set your words in order before me and take your stand. Behold, I am towards God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you and my pressure will not be heavy on you. So one of the first things that's interesting from this, Job's friends have been speaking super harshly to him for the entire chapters leading up to this. Like for the last 28 chapters, Job's friends have been nonstop ripping into him. You got Zophar saying you deserve worse than you get. You got Eliphaz saying your kids deserve to die and Bildad following suit. And so Job's been getting, uh, he's been having a hard time. He's been saying you miserable comforters. And Elihu comes in and he says, Job, you're suffering. I'm a man like you. I'm a piece of clay like you. I am no greater than you are, and I will not set myself against you. But that doesn't mean that Elihu doesn't speak to him. It doesn't mean that Elihu doesn't call him out. And in verse 8, he says, Surely you have spoken in my ears, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure without transgression. I am clean, and there is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy, and he puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. So Elihu says, you're, you're saying that you're righteous. You're saying you haven't done anything wrong and that God is oppressing you. And then in 33 verse 12, Elihu says, behold, in this you are not right, and I will answer you. For God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. And so Elihu looks at Job and he says basically exactly what Justin said to you guys last week. Justin said, oh yeah, the God who imagined the stars and gives source to their heat and their light. That's the God that you want to call to task. That's exactly what Elihu says. Elihu says, um, you're a dude. You're a guy, and you're gonna call God into your courtroom? Do you think that's how this works? It doesn't work that way. We aren't God, and God doesn't answer to us. God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us an explanation. God doesn't owe us pleasure. God doesn't owe us a good life, however you wanna define that. God owes you absolutely nothing. Doesn't even owe you an explanation. And that's exactly what Elihu says to Job. 
He says, Job, things are going on in your life and you're speaking against God, but God doesn't answer to you. The same way that when I go to work, my boss doesn't need to give me a report on how they spent their day. I need to give my boss a report of how I spent my day. And the gap between us and God is just a little bit bigger than the gap between me and my boss. Right? Just, just, a, just a little bit. you know, Maybe a bit bigger than a little bit. And that's what Elihu says to Job. It's like, Job, what are you doing? Have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten what you are? Have you forgotten who and what God is? Because it's not your place to call him in, into your courtroom. And so Elihu doesn't say, you know, Job, you must be suffering. He doesn't say that. He doesn't try to give Job an explanation and give Job advice. He just says, Job, I don't necessarily know why you're suffering. I don't necessarily know what this situation is, but I'll tell you who does know, God. And I'll tell you who doesn't tell you an explanation, God. And it's important to keep that context in mind. It's so easy for us to think that we are the center of the universe. When I was in, a, I was in class a few months ago, and uh, my, my professor, he told us, you know, guys, have you ever learned Theology 101? And we were like, and I mean, the rest of the people in my class, n- most of them didn't have an issue, but I had never heard of that. So I was like, okay, what's Theology 101? And he said, this is Theology 101. And if you try to walk graduation and you can't answer Theology 101, we might not give you your degree. But this is Theology 101. This is the basics of all theology. God is God, and I am not. That's Theology 101. God is God, and I am not. And the problem is that you go around the world and you've got a bunch of people walking around thinking that they're God, and when they walk into other people who also think that they're God, then you've got conflict and you've got issues. Everyone thinks that they're the center of the universe. Everyone thinks that they're the protagonist of their own story. Everyone thinks that life is about them, when in reality, God's the protagonist of his own story, and we're the side characters. And the entire universe revolves around God, and your life isn't about making yourself magnified. Your life is about doing what God wants you to do. It doesn't matter what that is. And here's the thing. God's good. God's a good God. And one of the things that God does with Christians is God likes to show off. God is primarily interested in his own, uh, his own reputation. In Psalm 23, it says that he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is kind to us. And one of the ways that God shows his glory, one of the ways that God makes his reputation known is by looking at a person who is in rebellion against him, someone who's sinful, someone who doesn't deserve anything, and then saying, you know what? You deserve absolutely nothing. You're a sinner, so all you actually deserve is judgment. But you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to send my son to go and live a perfect life and then die so that you don't have to. And I'm going to give you salvation. If you just repent, if you look at me and you say, man, I'm a sinner and I need mercy, and you look to me and you ask me to save you, I am going to lavish so much good on you. I'm going to bring you into heaven and I'm going to spend eternity making your life as amazing as possible in heaven so that when everyone else and when all of the angels look at you who deserved nothing and they look at me who gave you everything, they're going to have nothing to say but man. God's really generous. And so it's not actually a bad thing that God's the center of the universe. God's very kind to us. He's very generous to us. And he offers us so much more than we deserve because he's the center of the universe. 
And so I'm not trying to like be like, oh, um, you don't matter, you suck, and you should just crawl into your hole where you came from and recognize that God is God and you are not. I'm saying recognize that God is God, you are not, but then be grateful for the fact that he's God and you're not. Because you're getting a lot of good out of that deal, man, if you're a Christian. But, you know, Elihu reminds Job of that mentality. And Elihu says more, but I actually just want to skip to the end of Elihu's uh, little response. In chapters 36 and 37, Elihu has more to say to Job and Job's friends. Actually, there's one more thing I don't want to skip. So this is like a select portion. Job uh, 35, 9 through 15, 9 through 16. We're going to hit this, and then we're going to hit Elihu's conclusion. And we'll go into small groups after that. But this is interesting. So Elihu is speaking to Job and his friends, and he says in verse 9, Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out, and they call for help because of the arm of the mighty. So Elihu says, man, people sure like to talk when they're suffering. Bad things happen, and people got things to say. God, how could you let this happen? What's going on? I don't get it. Bad things happen, and people speak. But in verse 10, But none says, Where is God my maker? who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth, who makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens. You know, he says, no one says, man, look at God who's given us beautiful songs to listen to. Look at God who's made us wise and understanding, who's made us smarter than animals. In verse 12, there they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. So I'm stuck in my teeth. Okay. So basically what Job says is this. Everyone wants to call out and complain when bad things happen in their life, but no one wants to call out and thank God for the good things that happen in their life. People want to get mad when an airplane crashes, but they don't thank God for the hundreds and thousands of airplanes that he didn't let crash. And we have a tendency to when things aren't going the way that we want them to, then we got things to complain about. But when things are going well, we forget to thank the person who's causing things to go well. And Elihu's looking at Job and he's saying, man, Job, hard times hit and you sure got a lot to say. But you're forgetting to thank God for all the good times that came first. And at the beginning, Job didn't have that issue. Job says to his wife, are we, gonna thank, are we going to accept good from God but not evil? Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job started out exactly where he should have been. But then he strayed. But that's something that's interesting to see in there. It's like, man, we sure have a lot to say when things aren't going our way. But I just want to finish it out looking at chapter 37. Because one of the things that Elihu's problem was in the beginning is he looks at Job, who's justifying himself instead of justifying God. He's looking at Job's friends who are accusing Job but can't back up anything they say. And Elihu's looking at this conversation and he's thinking, man, you're saying Job's a sinner and you're saying that you're righteous. But all of you guys are missing the fact that you're not talking about God. You're forgetting what your purpose is here. And so in chapter 37, I'm just going to read this. Actually, I'm going to start in 36. So 36 verse 1. And Elihu continued and he said, Bear with me a little and I will show you, for I have something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly, my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. And so he says, guys, I'm going to draw your attention to what matters. I'm going to remind you that God is righteous. 
Job's over here thinking that God made a mistake. And Job's friends are over here saying that Job must have made a mistake. And all of you guys are forgetting to vindicate God's righteousness. And so Elihu does it. In chapter 37, this is like Elihu's concluding statement. And chapter 37 is why I like to think of Elihu as God's hype man. At this, my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of God's voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven, he lets it go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it, his voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice and he does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, and likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all the men who know, that all the men whom he made may know it. And so the thing that's wild about that is that Elihu's just like, guys, God's pretty cool. God's voice thunders in a way that our voice doesn't thunder. God looks at the snow and he tells it where to go. God looks at lightning and he causes it to strike wherever he wants. God's pretty awesome. God's pretty powerful. And then I want you to look at chapter 38. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. The thing that I think is wild is that I don't think that Elihu was like hearing God come on his way as he said this. I think Elihu was just saying cool things about God. And then God's like, I'm going to do that. And God answers out of the whirlwind and God's voice thunders. And a lot of the things that uh, Elihu says in chapter 37, God repeats in his response. And so Elihu is like God's hype man. God didn't want to just come right on in. God could have. God could have seen their conversation was over and then just swooped in for the mic drop. But God needed a hype man first. God needed someone to be like, guys, you're forgetting how awesome God is. I mean, just think about how cool his voice is. And then God's like, yeah, man. And he comes on in and his voice starts thundering. And so the thing that I want to show you guys with this is like next week we're going into God's response. And God's response is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It is so cool and I am so excited. Because God's going to answer Job, which first of all, think about how cool that is. How many of you guys have spoken to God? None. Exactly, none. I sure haven't. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but God actually shows up. Like think about how cool that is. Job's suffering, Job's having a hard time, and it ends with God coming and talking to him. That's pretty epic. But we're going to get into that next week, and I'm going to leave it alone. But I'm just going to summarize what we've seen. Elihu's the young man. Elihu is the youngest in the group, and yet Elihu was also the most right in the group. Elihu's the youngest in the group, and so he spoke last, but he spoke. And one of the things I want you guys to see is that being young does not mean that you can't understand the Bible. Being young does not mean that you can't be right when someone older than you is wrong. But you're young. And you should recognize that people older than you do have something to say. One of the Proverbs that I didn't read, but I'm going to read now. It's uh, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland on your head and pendants on your neck. 
One of the things that God has for you is that if you're going to live life the way that God wants you to live life, he's given you parents to respect and honor. And sometimes that's easier than others. Sometimes someone's going to have really good parents that have a lot of good things to say. And sometimes people are going to have rough parents that don't have good things to say. But in either case, it's your job to honor them. And at least listen to what they've got to tell you. They've lived more life than you have. And there might be a lot of things that you've got to disregard. But you need to know what those things are by what the Bible says. Because just by the coin toss, odds are your parents know better than you do. And that's a hard thing to swallow, man. No one wants to hear that. But odds are your parents know better than you do. And it doesn't mean they always will, but you do need to be prepared to listen. So with that, let's bow our heads, let's pray it out, and boy am I stoked for what we've got for you guys next week. <laughs> Lord, thank you for Elihu. And thank you that, in a sense, we get to listen to Elihu's response knowing what the ending is. Lord, you, you have preserved the words of Elihu for 4,000 years. I pray that you would help us to see that these are things that are not outdated, but that you thought were so essential that you preserved them for millennia. I pray that you would help us to see the example of Elihu, the way that he respected the people that were older than him. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as young people to be humble, that we would respect the people who were older than us. But Lord, Elihu spoke, and he spoke well, and he spoke accurately. I pray that you would help us to see that being young does not mean that we can't speak well and accurately. I pray that we would be motivated to have a proper relationship with you and to know you well and to live that out, recognizing that we are responsible for what we believe and for what we do. Lord, I pray that you would empower us in that, to know the line between humility and gullibleness and to walk it well. And I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.